Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather judge this, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know, and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now why don't you walk in love toward him? Now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. The kingdom of God is not made up of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Today we're in Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 13. Well, the Apostle Paul writes in this passage how we should seek our brother's good by not being a stumbling block or a hindrance to our brother. The motive being one of love, love for one another, just as Christ died for each one of us because of his love for us. And also the kingdom of God is spoken of here and the kingdom of God is comprised of three things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We see that it is contrasted with material things like uh, eating and drinking, and the Holy Spirit of God is the one in whom the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has this righteousness and peace and joy. And you will also note that both joy and peace are two of the nine fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 14, verse 13, and here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Again, we come to our studies in the book of Romans, chapter 14. We are dealing here with some very, very practical things. In fact, chapter 14 and 15 of Romans ought to be uh, in big letters on every bulletin board, when one thinks of the confusion among, among Christians and the lack of love and compassion and understanding, how we need this passage. How shall I deal with Christians who may not be doing the thing that they ought to do or are doing something they shouldn't do or going someplace where they shouldn't go? What's my attitude to them? Uh, likewise, 
to weak brethren, to those who are babes in Christ. I am not to judge them in the light of my conscience or even my knowledge, nor are you. Here are some people who have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. They've been well taught in the Word of God. They know doctrine. Here are other Christians who have been Christians for 10, 15, 20 years, and they haven't grown in the knowledge of God. The danger is for us, with pride, and I'm going to bluntly say it, because it produces pride, we judge, we judge the other Christian in the light of our conscience, in the light of our knowledge, and we cause him to stumble, and we manifest pride and division. Now, we've been taking this up in chapter 14. In the first four verses, we had how we are to receive these weaker brethren, and we are to receive them because they belong to Christ and to their own master they stand or fall. And then verses 5 to 12, which was our last lesson, the ground for receiving them is because we have the same Lord. And this same Lord is also to be the judge of his people. And we must all stand before him. I'm talking about Christians. Let me make it very, very clear. For the Christian, judgment with respect to sin is past. At the cross, the Lord Jesus bore our judgment with respect to sin. You remember John 5.24 says, We shall not come into judgment, into condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, We shall not. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been emancipated from the law of sin and the law of death. And John 3.18 says, He that believeth is not condemned, is not judged. The unbeliever is going to be judged with respect to his sin and with respect to his unbelief in the Savior. You find this in Revelation chapter 20, where at the end of the thousand years reign of Christ, where God is going to raise the dead and they're all going to stand before the white throne judgment of God and are going to hear from him their judgment. I shall not take it up except to mention the fact that their very works are going to be judged and their destination is determined because of their repudiation of the Son of God. But the Christian is being judged now in his walk and conversation, in his life. And if we do not walk correctly, God chastens us. He disciplines us, according to Hebrews chapter 12. And then at the judgment seat of Christ, which we have here in Romans 14, verse 10, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and so on, Believers are going to stand before the Son of God and be judged with respect to rewards. And as 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 to 15 declares, some of our works are going to be burned up. They can't stand the test of fire. And we'd be very happy to see them burned up. And their other works which are done for the glory of God are going to be rewarded. Now, this is what we have here, but Paul is using this for a purpose. His purpose is that we are not to judge God's people. In spite of their frailty and weaknesses and possible failure, God has not made us the judges. They, he will take care of that at the judgment seat of Christ. 
And again, I say very, very, very firmly to us Christians, we who love the Lord, and sometimes someone says things about you and does things to you, and the easiest thing is for you and me to retaliate or to, to justify ourselves. You know, it's a wonderful thing to just leave it in the hands of the Lord because he's the one who judgeth righteously. And you and I can well afford to wait until the judgment seat of Christ and he will then know not only our words and our actions, but our very motives, the very secrets of our hearts. is an open book to him. You can fool each other, but my friend, we can't fool him. We might even fool ourselves, but we can't fool him. Your life, my friend, your actions, your words, your motives, are all an open book before God. And as far as Christians are concerned, we're going to stand before the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, and there receive the things done on the body, whether good or bad. That which is not for his glory will be burned up. And I'm thinking oftentimes of things that we think were so wonderful, nothing else but wood and stubble. Did you minister? Did you work? Did you sacrifice because of your love for the Savior, for your love for God's people? Or did you do it for a reputation or to keep a reputation? May the Lord deliver us from that. We must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, shall we go on from there? Starting in at verse 13 and running through to the end of the chapter, the apostle now begins to talk about the fact that we ought to seek the edification of all Christians. And here he takes up the use of liberty. He takes up our walk before God and our love for each other. And in verses 13 to 16, we are to avoid being stumbling blocks to other Christians. Allow me to read the verses. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Why should we? Because the Lord is the judge. That's his prerogative, not yours, not mine. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather judge this, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know, and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now why don't you walk in love toward him? Or, as the King James says, Now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Let me just stop here for a few moments. Avoid being stumbling blocks. You know the Lord in, in the book of Luke, chapter 17, in the beginning of that chapter, speaks very, very forcibly about this question of causing one of the little ones to stumble. Far better for one to have a millstone around his neck and cast into the sea than to cause one of the little ones, the babes in Christ, to stumble. Now, you see, Mr. Mitchell, but I, I'm free to do this. I have, it doesn't bother my conscience at all. I can walk before God and I can do this and I have 
perfect liberty to do it. Well and good. Well and good. But are you willing to give that up because of your love for your brother who is not as free as you are? You know, I, I was having a little chat with a friend not too long ago, and he was accusing certain Christians of being legalistic. And I said, I said to him, just a minute, you know, it may be that a person can give up some things that are perfectly legal, perfectly legitimate for a Christian to do, and give them up, not because of legality, but because of our love for the Savior and our love for our fellow brethren. I repeat it, my friend, again and again. When you and I sit in judgment upon a fellow believer as a rule, it's a manifestation of pride. Not spiritual discernment, but pride. The lack of love for believers who are weak in the faith. And Paul is talking about this here, the knowledge of freedom, having your freedom, doesn't free you from your responsibility concerning your brother. I say all things, as Paul could say in Corinthians 9, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. And if Christ gave up his life for them, can't we give up a few little so-called rights for them? Can I repeat that? I may not give you the same words. I want you to get the thought of it. The Lord Jesus loved these weak Christians, these failing brothers, these legalistic friends, if you want to call them that, the Lord loved them enough to die for them. Can't you and I give up some things that we may like to do, but that are stumbling block to our brothers? Can't we give, don't we love them enough to give up that for their sake? Again, I say, friend, you can have love for God, but I can't see that except as it is displayed in your love for your brother. And there are a great many, great many weak, weak brothers. When there should be mature men and women in Christ, they're acting like babies. I grant you that. A great many folk will not agree with you. We, were, we disagree on doctrine. We disagree on church polity. We disagree on so many things. So what? If they love the Savior, you and I ought to love them. You and I ought to love them. You see, I don't like what they're doing. Well, maybe so, maybe so. But don't cause your brother to stumble. Live for him as well as for the Lord. In fact, the more you love the Savior, the more you love your brethren in Christ. So he goes on to speak of this fact. We serve the Lord Christ. And am I willing to give up my rights for their sake? Yes. And then he goes on to say in verse 15 and 16, If thy brother is grieved with thy meat, you walk in love. Remember him in his frailty. 
and stop doing the thing you're doing for his sake. And don't let him be destroyed. That would be destroyed in his spiritual walk before God, destroyed in his growth before God, the man for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Don't let the thing that is good in you be the cause of evil speaking. You remember Romans 2.24? In Romans 2.24, the great indictment concerning the Jew, and Paul says that the very name of God was blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Is it not the case today that so often men and women who are not Christians will turn away from the gospel because they know some Christians who are not walking audibly, correctly before God? In dealing with men on planes, in stores, in talking to men about the need of a Savior, oh, how often this is thrown up. And they'll tell you about Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, even calling preachers and uh, run them down and run the gospel down and run the Savior down because of the lives of Christians. And I have to say, well, pardon me, sir, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the Savior. Do you find any flaw in the Savior? Do you have any fault to find with Christ? If there's no Christian walking orderly, that doesn't excuse any unsaved man from accepting the Savior. It's with Christ we have to do. But the sad thing, however, how often the unsaved person is detracted and shunted away from the precious Lord of glory who died to save men and women because of our lives because of our attitudes one to the other. And again, may I make a plea? I did this in one of the preceding lessons in Romans 14. Please, please do not criticize another Christian, whatever he's done. Do not criticize him in the presence of the unsaved. This is a family matter. Don't give him ammunition to reject the Lord Jesus Christ because you've told him about failures and weaknesses and frailty of other Christians. Talking about the Savior. And if you have some Christian who's failed God, don't run to the telephone and tell somebody else about it. You better get on your knees and pray for them or search them out. Encourage them in the Lord. Don't meet them with a censorious spirit. Don't meet them with a judging spirit, but rather in a spirit of love and understanding and tenderness and compassion. My, when I think of the Savior in the Gospels, read your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them and reread them. And look at the Savior, how tender he is, how wonderful he is, even when sinners came to him. Do you remember how the Pharisee stepped to one side and said to himself, if Jesus were a real, real prophet of God, if he was something real, he would know what kind of a woman this is because she's a sinner. Ah, yes, he's the friend of publicans and sinners. Are you? Am I? God granted you and I will so live before men and so live before each other. 
that we'll manifest something of the fragrance and sweetness and love of the Savior so that men and women will come to know him. And believer in Christ, you and I have a tremendous responsibility. Please, liberty always has respect for the other person. And don't shout about your liberty in Christ if you're not manifesting love to your weaker brother who needs your encouragement, who needs edification, who needs being built up. Now he goes on into the next two verses. What is the kingdom of God? He's been talking about our reaction one to the other. Then he goes on to make known the fact the kingdom of God is not made up of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Just very briefly that 17th verse. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness. It's not made up of material things. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Did you notice this? Don't, don't go after your brother because he's, he's, a weak, he's weak, frail, stumbles. This is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. And notice where it is. It's in the Holy Spirit. Hence, he's dealing with our walk. Now, it's true. It's true that the moment a person accepts a Savior, they're declared righteous in Christ. That's our standing before God. And because we are righteous in Christ, we, of course, have peace, for the work of righteousness is peace. And when a person enjoys that peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, there comes that holy joy. That's why I love to see young Christians in their fervency of love for the Savior, they're full of joy. just runs all over them. And even though they may say things that you don't agree with, you can't get away from the exuberance of joy. The Lord has brought them peace. They're enjoying forgiveness of life in Christ. And they're so reveling in it. They know nothing about doctrine. They don't even know how to walk yet. But brother, they've got life in Christ. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not these things that are materialistic. But it's righteousness and peace and joy. Where? In the Holy Spirit. You know, this is wonderful when you think of it. By the way, my friend, if you have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you have no righteousness. And not having any righteousness, therefore you have no peace. And because you have no peace with God, you have no real, real joy. Oh, you may have times of happiness and so on. That's because of circumstances. But real, real joy, that gets right down to your vitals. This comes from having peace with God. But there cannot be peace with God without righteousness. Righteousness. 
That's what I'm trying to say to you, my friend. The moment a person accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, they're pronounced righteous by God. And hence, we have peace with God. And having peace with God, then we experience that deep, deep, settled joy. So that when someone comes to you and says, where do you think you'll go when you leave this world? Well, I go right home. I go right home where I belong, to the very presence of God. Where do you go? Do you have a home to which to go? My friend, may the Lord make it clear to you today for his name's sake. Don't be almost put him foremost for he loves you my friend he died and rose that Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.